Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024 J.P. Morgan Chase and Co. This is Solvable. I'm Ronald Young Jr. We have a really special episode for you today. You may recall that back in September, I talked with TV writer Mike Goyo about his work to support young Black writers in Hollywood. He mentioned then that his writing would be credited on the upcoming and final season of Insecure. Well, as you probably know, that season is well underway. So I asked Mike to come back to Solvable and spill all his secrets, or at least tell me more about what it was like writing for Insecure. Here's our conversation, and stick with us because at the end of this short chat, we'll share our original episode about Mike's inspiring mentorship program called the Black Boy Rights, Black Girl Rights Mentorship Initiative. Here we go. You know, I follow you on Instagram. I saw your pictures. Uh, you're doing big things with Insecure right now. I saw you. <laughs> who styled you for the premiere party? Yeah. <laughs> I, I did it myself. Yo, you look fantastic. I, st- I, I, I styled myself for, for everything. Yeah. Um that look came together in less than 24 hours. Honestly, if I wasn't a writer, I would be in fashion. I would be in fashion. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. You got your Instagram on lock, man. So I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like no, thank you. Thank yeah, you. You got thank a good you. aesthetic um, going over there, man. The premiere was great. And, you know, this is my first season writing on the show, but I've been a fan of the show since it started, you know? Yeah. So being able to have that kind of like insider experience to, its history, mm-hmm. almost like just a museum, felt great. It was awesome. So I, I know you've written for other shows like, you know, Jenny and Georgia, you know, writing for a show like this where you're you're a fan of the show from the beginning. Does that change the experience in the writer's room for you? It does. It does in emotionally in the sense of like, ooh, this is my favorite show. Okay, <laughs> I got to do right by it. <laughs> it's like, I can't be out here um, pitching like crazy stuff things that I wanted to see, like season two. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, nah, yeah. she should have went with Daniel. She should have been with Daniel. You're like, you like walk into the writing room, you're like, stuff. where's Daniel? We're, yeah, we're going to bring him back. I have to tell you, that, like, the, I think the first day in the writer's room, I was like, okay, so this and this need to happen because if it don't, like, you know what I mean? I was like, okay, Mike, calm down. But yeah, I was, you know, incredibly excited. And to your point, it's different than Ginny and Georgia only because Ginny and Georgia is it was its first season. Mm-hmm. So you originated stuff. Yeah. So oh, 
Come on, originator. <laughs> no, but like <laughs> the same kind of fanfare that people are experiencing over Ginny and Georgia mm-hmm. as viewers, I experienced with Insecure. But when you're on a show and it's like the inception of the show and you're starting with the first season, mm-hmm. you and the other writers are tasked with creating the world, with, with creating who these characters are. Yeah. So when you become a part of that process, it's slightly harder to just be able to sit back as a fan. Yeah. And, you know, and of course, we love all the fans of the show and it, it's become an incredibly successful show and we love that. But it's just a different experience, you know? Like with Insecure, it's like, I didn't have to write it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't have to come up with these stories and I could just enjoy it as a fan and like pick my team. I was like, Team Lawrence, Team Nathan, like, who am I? Like, do you know what I mean? Yo, it's all uh, Lawrence Hive on the Solvable Podcast. All right. Oh, I don't care. Oh, I didn't even ask anybody. Oh, this is a Lawrence oh, Hive podcast. Okay. You can tell Malcolm, tell everybody it's a Lawrence Hive podcast. Come on, Lawrence Hive. <laughs> I'm me, not mad at it. Tell me, t- take me back for a second. Take me through, if you remember, and I'm, I'm sure you do, what was your what was your first day working with the team like? And I imagine, was it, was it virtual? Were you in person? What was it like? It was fantastic. What I'll say is I knew most of the writers personally, and it was my first time working with a lot of them professionally. So there's that kind of like, okay, Mike, like, don't be on here talking crazy like you would having drinks, <laughs> drinks with this person. You know, be professional, pitch, speak up, things like that. Say something smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Act like you know what you're, what you're talking about. But it was also different because it was my first virtual room. Because remember, we were all in the depths of, of quarantine. And that kind of like familial aspect of the writer's mm-hmm. room, you don't really get to build it as much on Zoom. Like it was very efficient, mm-hmm. but that efficiency kind of slightly stepped on some of the relationship building maybe, but for the most part, like, oh my God, the room experience was fantastic. Wow. So did you ever get to spend time on set? And what was that like? I did to get to spend time on set. (laughs) 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 I love that. Okay. I know this. You can't tell us everything, so I get it. I appreciate that. <laughs> so I imagine you had a I'm good like, time. You're gonna get me. <laughs> no, nope, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. So yo, so you, so you had a good time. I imagine. Um, what was your, what was your favorite thing about about writing this season or about helping out this season that you can share? Talking about the larger themes of the show, and because mm-hmm. it's the final season, you're closing out these characters and their experiences, and you're wanting to kind of give them their like full circle moment. Mm-hmm. Being able to discuss that and having conversations around that was great because you you get to assist in how these characters land emotionally in the series. It's like, what are they learning? What is coming up for them? Uh, what do we want the audience to know as we finish out the series? One thing that was really, that we kind of landed on early is that we wanted to write like we were getting a season six mm. so that we didn't feel the pressure of, oh, we have to like, you know, really close out these characters in a huge way. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. Insecure has been about slice of life stories and also like what it looks like if you were just, you know, a fly on the wall mm-hmm. in this person's life. Yeah. In this particular section of this person's full life. Yeah. So if that's the case, then let's not concern ourselves with 
closing them out in a way that feels finite. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's not meant for you to feel like, oh, okay, I'm never going to see that character again. Mm -hmm. It's meant to feel like that character is living on in a universe that you just don't get, you just aren't privy to anymore. Yeah. That's what you kind of like want it to feel like. Yeah. That's, I I, kind of feel like that when I watch some of my favorite shows on television now, you know, when you loop back to them over and over again, it always feels good to just go back to that episode and see that they're doing the same thing over and over again mm. the time loop and you could just go visit them and see how they're <laughs> doing loop. you know i guess i like it when some of my shows get revived and you get to see what they're doing you get an update on them but i feel like some people take that too far so it's i like what you're saying to just consider them being in a universe somewhere where i just they're i'm not privy to what they're doing and i think that's right. that's excellent ways to write do you you know with your with your foundation with uh black boy rights black girl rights you you have a lot of advice for your mentees about, you know, how to be in the room and all that. Did you find yourself using any of the advice that you have been giving out as a mentor in Listen, the room? <laughs> I found myself not using my own advice, okay? You know how I'm sitting here giving them, like, sage advice about, like, what to do. Yeah. And I'm over here like, Mike, you're not even saying what you said, what you told them to do. So, you know what I mean? So I, I try to remember that I am a member of the writing staff and not nec- and not just like a fan anymore. Mm-hmm. So that kind of like those the, those nerves that you might have about feeling like, oh, okay, my, is what I'm saying making sense? Mm-hmm. You know, you quickly have to kind of dispel so that you can be an effective communicator. Mm-hmm. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency, Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards that's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat.
Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC, copyright 2024. J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. Okay, so I'm going to ask you two questions that you probably can't answer, and that's okay, but I want to ask them anyway. All right, you can ask. <laughs> <laughs> were, there, were there any particular lines or anything that you wrote that we can listen for? <laughs> Coming up, mm, coming up in the, in the I, I can't. In a, nah, sorry. I can't tell you that. I can, there, <laughs> there are a couple that I am particularly proud of, and okay. I have to like wait to. Re- I have to remember if they even made the final cut. Mm-hmm. But there, there are, and I, I'm not saying anything. Okay, we'll, we'll talk offline. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk offline if nobody's listening. Right, right. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My, my next question is, um, so. You, you've done Insecure now, you know what I mean? And that's, you know, that's a pretty big feather in your cap. What do you want to do next? I have been so blessed and grateful to take on a few projects. Mm-hmm. I can't even talk about them yet. That's the thing. <laughs> I, have, I can't talk about them that yet. They haven't been announced. Yeah. But as soon as they are, Ronald, you know, I'm going to call you up and be like, yo, Ronald, look what <laughs> <Please> happened. <do. laughs> This is what I was talking about. This is what I was talking about. Got you. So, Mike, I, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that you took the time to be here. I consider you a friend to the show. You're the only guest that has returned. Uh, well, except for Malcolm, of course, but you're the only guest. You're the second guest that is uh, that <laughs> Shout out returned. to Malcolm. Yeah, shout, shout out to Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, but we're, we're glad to have you back. Um, tell everybody how they can find you and tell me more about the work that you're doing with Black Boy Rights and Black Girl Rights. Thank you. You can find me on um, Twitter at Black Boy Rights. You can find me on Instagram, also at Black Boy Rights, but it's a period in between each letter. Black Boy Rights and Black Girl Rights is a mentorship initiative that I launched at the top of 2021 to help writers of color gain access into the industry. You know, there are a lot of talented writers out there that just need the access. So please keep your eyes peeled for the 2022 class of mentees. I'm very proud of the program and hope that it becomes like a a, a mainstay in Hollywood. I hope it does too, man. I hope this is the beginning of something very big for you. And um, and I'm, I'm really proud of uh, the work that you're doing. I'm really glad that you came back to the show, man. Thanks for coming back. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Ronald. Now, solvable listeners, here's the episode we first published back in September of 2021 about Mike Goyo's mentorship initiative, Black Boy Rights, Black Girl Rights. This is Solvable. I'm Ronald Young Jr. 
we should be allowed to take up space. Not just allowed to take up space, we should be just be taking up space ourselves because we deserve it. In recent years, calls for more diverse representation in Hollywood and show business have grown louder and more frequent. Whether it's April Rain starting the hashtag Oscar So White, or writer, director, actor Issa Rae using her large following to be rooting for everybody black, there have been many public calls for action around and criticism of the lack of visibility for non-white folks in Hollywood. Without visibility, there's no change. Without visibility, there's no access. So it's really about getting in front of as many eyes and ears as possible to get your story out there. And in order to tell a story, you need to be in the room where stories are written, specifically writers' rooms. According to a 2017 report on representation in Hollywood and in television, of nearly 4,000 writers, 4.8% of them were Black. And over half of all shows have zero Black writers. Mike Goyo is one of the very few who have made it to the inside. We're in this space now. We have to build out these programs for ourselves because if we don't build them out, everything will remain the same. So we have to kind of like take the initiative to do that. Goyo's most recent job was writing for a little show on HBO you might have heard me shout out on a previous Solvable episode. That show is called Insecure. And today, Goyo is also the founder of a mentorship organization called Black Boy Rights and Black Girl Rights. They help burgeoning writers not only find their footing when entering a largely white landscape, but also offer support and a network as they continue to grow their careers in Hollywood. The lack of creatives of color in positions of power in Hollywood is solvable. I met Issa uh, early 2015 and like she had a mixer at her production company for creatives of color. And I went to that mixer, met her for all of two minutes. But Issa, I mean, I credit her to helping me in my career. She has always helped up and coming creatives. Mm -hmm. And I met several people there that became my people, that became my tribe of people. She was like, you know, look to the people in the room to grow with. And that's exactly what I did, you know? And yeah. that is my group chat. Like, that is, those are my people. We all came up at the same time. We all got staffed around the same time. We all continued to rise around the same time. And she really helped make that happen. So it's about how are, are all these creatives that are out here, creatives of color that are coming up in the business, how they're helping others come up. And I want to be able to do the same thing. Originally, you weren't going to be a writer. So tell me what <laughs> your aspirations were or what your parents wanted you to be originally. You know what? I love that last minute correction there because it really was my parents. I was like, my aspirations. <laughs> I don't think I, I knew what they were until my parents told me what they were. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I was, you know, being groomed to be a, a doctor by my parents, you know, from a young age. That's the road I went down. Um, I didn't know anything else. But once I got to college and I started taking, you know, uh, theater classes and screenwriting classes, I was like, oh, wow, I really enjoy this. I also came across, you know, organic chemistry and was like, oh, OK, this is this is the enemy. <laughs> this is <laughs> definitely not getting past this level. Like Before you made that switch. You're a child of Haitian immigrants. I am. The earthquake in Haiti in 2010 
it bore some influence on making the switch from becoming a doctor to being fully focused on writing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Ronald did his research. <laughs> Basically, what happened was my both my parents and my sister were in Haiti during the earthquake. So we couldn't reach them for three days. So we were mm-hmm. thinking the worst. Um, at the time, my little brother, who's he's 12 years younger than me, um, he was in my care at the time. So I'm also having to think of like, oh, my God, like, OK, my parents can't locate them. I'm like, you know, trying to put aside thoughts about like, the idea of raising my little brother alone. So mm-hmm. I, after discovering they were okay and everything was fine and, you know, they eventually flew back to the States, I really had an aha moment of like just a life is too short to live for other people. And I was really kind of living for everyone else but myself. I was living for my parents. It just wasn't working for me. I was really kind of like honestly depressed that's when I decided to change my major to theater with a concentration in in creative writing. And then I also came out in the same year to my parents too. So that was, (laughs) that was like, what was, what was that like for them? I mean, it was, man, when I, when I changed career path, my mother cried was like, I can't believe you're doing this. You were, you know, on such a good path. Now you're writing. I don't even know what that is. What does that even mean? And then my dad was like, it's going to be all right. Just let him fly. Like, let him do what he wants to do. He was very supportive in that way. And then I was like, oh, fantastic. And then later that year when I came out, like, my dad was crying. And my mom was like, let him do what he wants. Like you said, let him be free. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So, so, um, yeah, that was really a pivotal year for me, not just in my career or what would become my career, but in my life, you know? Your story really resonates with me because I was in IT for most of my adult life. I'm still fairly new to this job. So I, I, well, making you're killing that adjust- it. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so making that adjustment was uh, something that w- it was easy to wrap my head around because it was my dream job, but there were some uh, difficulties in terms of switching industries and learning the industry and learning the people around me. Now, granted, I don't think you did a career switch, but even starting in this career in this world, tell me what that world was like, especially for you, a black man. Like, what was that like interacting with all these folks? And even though it is your dream job, What was that like? After graduating college, I knew that I wanted to pursue television. I knew I wanted to move to L.A. So I was making plans to move to L.A. While making those plans, I was working as a production assistant in Boston. You know, I worked on The Equalizer as a production assistant with Denzel Washington. I worked on American Idol. I worked on a few other reality TV shows. But when I was working on American Idol, who was in Boston for their Boston auditions, I happened to mention a production like, hey, I'm moving to L.A. in a month. And they're like, oh, okay, great. Once you move to L.A., come work with us. And I was like, oh, say no more. Nice. <laughs> so once I moved, I had a job, which was um, which was great. But to your question, like when I got here, I felt like, okay. This is the opportunity I was asking the universe for. So I need to kind of really focus and make some connections, start networking. Part of the my success has been building my network. Mm -hmm. And what I came to realize very quickly is that my network will dictate my net worth in this business. And it's really about who you know as well as your talent. Mm -hmm. Some have been able to succeed with with you know, 
without both. <laughs> but um, as if you're a person of color, you will most likely you will need both. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. hard being a person of color in this industry trying to come up and being able to create some type of like sustainable pathway program for other writers or some type of like access that stays open for us is really important. So much of Hollywood is about who you know. Across all areas of work, researchers have found that people in positions of power demonstrate unconscious bias. That's when we hire people who look like us or have a similar background or path to the one we followed. Some people have a conscious bias too, of course, which leads to the same result, doors shut to people of color. In TV and film, the many white writers making it bring on other white writers, who in turn bring on more white writers. Only seven of every 20 writers is currently a person of color. Discrimination is perpetuated. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency. Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventionalawards that's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on the storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. 
Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024. J.P. Morgan Chase and Co. Mike, with your organization, Black Boy Rights, Black Girl Rights, are you seeking to create work and opportunities to overlooked folks in writing? Or is it more that you're trying to teach them about writing? Or is it both? It's really both. Once you're in the program, some of the features include writer roundtables with other writers in the business who are established. And we try to invite as many people that feel like relatable to our mentees, imparting, you know, tips about writing and also just like writer's room etiquette and things like that, like things you would normally, you would not know unless you were in a writer's room. Mm. But it is also about providing access. Um, you know, these conversations that we're having with these, you know, established writers are like intimate conversations where they get to be free to ask any type of question they'd like to ask. They have some FaceTime with the writers. They get the writers' um, contact information so that they can contact them themselves and build like a personal, their own like genuine personal relationship with that person. I try to provide them with access to securing general meetings with executives. It's really about creating a sense of visibility for them so that you can get the access that you need. Also, once the program is over, we have an alumni system where we're not going to let you just go off on your own and expect you to fly. Yeah, it's like it's like it's that thing of like when um, a mother bird like watches their <laughs> baby fly off the, the the branch, they at least look down to make sure that they made it, like they make sure that they're okay. <laughs> so uh, as soon as like the program's over and it's really just a year program, the intention is to keep up with all our alumni and make sure that they are okay, make sure they've made it, make sure that they uh, still have what they need. So Mike, like you, you give them a lot, like that's a lot to, for a person to get, like, especially starting off as a writer. I imagine that this has to be connected to something that you felt was lacking as you were coming up in the program. Like, man, I wish that I had, would have had this. I wonder if you have any stories or anything that are attached to what you did not have and kind of what you had to fight for and advocate for yourself uh, growing up as a young black writer in the game. You know what the funny thing is, Ronald? It's, it's because of what I had that I'm doing what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? It's because of people yeah that came up before me who gave me a helping hand. Do you know what I mean? And who like, and pulled me up. Yes, I credit my career to hard work and to Mm -hmm. ambition, right? But I also credit it to people who have been mentors of mine and who have kind of like helped me in my career. All I want to do is be able to like really pay that back, pay that forward I just went ahead with that idea and started pursuing it. Mike Goyo was hardworking and fortunate. He was able to land a job when he first moved to L.A. 
He was able to mingle with successful Black writers, and he could afford to take the time to show up in the places where they were and offer to take them out for coffee or drinks. Persistence, networking, playing the game, it all takes time and effort. Mike, how do you feel about the necessity of a POC community having to build our own networks in order to even stand a chance? That isn't necessarily the case for white folks, or it might be a little more naturally built in for white folks than it is for black folks who have to build our own networks. I think you hit it right on the head in the in the, in the, in the last sentence there. It's like, it's just, they have been able to build it out in a way that we have not had the opportunity to, or when we have had the opportunity to, you know, Tulsa, <laughs> like <laughs> it gets burned down. So um, I think that... Is it hot? Right. I'm, I'm just saying, we're getting real. I'm just saying. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, 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 it's not as natural for us, and that's why we have to continue to work at it. But it's this thing of like, we're in this space now where we have to build out these programs for ourselves because if we don't build them out, everything will remain the same. So we have to kind of like take the initiative to do that. Do we have allies who want to help us? Absolutely. But we still have to put ourselves in that space of building that out for ourselves. So I, I think the some of the stats that come to Hollywood and writing and show business generally skew largely white. I mean, a couple of years ago, we had that controversy of uh, hashtag Oscars so white. And in 2019, 2020, 70% of showrunners were men, 82% were white. How does your program helping to address those types of issues? Or how do you how do you hope to address those types of issues in the, in the future? It's really about like leveling the playing field and when it comes to access. And that's what I'm trying to provide with the program is creating the access so that there can be more showrunners of color. There can be more, you know, um, high level writers in the writer's room who are people of color. Mike, like I could totally see your program continuing to expand and fill these spaces in a major way. But one thing I'm thinking right now is that you also have an individual career. You're working on your own writing and growth and professional ambitions. So even though your mentorship program is clearly rewarding and important, the burden of this kind of work often falls on us as marginalized people to simultaneously lift each other up while lifting ourselves. And <laughs> that's a lot of lifting, yes. you know? I'm thinking about how a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this with Dr. Joy Harden Bradford. She runs Therapy for Black Girls, and she talked about how part of showing up for her community was also saying no from time to time and making time for herself. So how do you strike the balance between helping others and helping yourself? Ronald, you are asking all the right questions. <laughs> You're asking questions that I think about on a daily basis. Because right now, I mean, in terms of the program, it's been like a, a one-man band. I have a uh, producing partner. Her name is Ashley Aronson. She's fantastic uh, and who's really helped me build out the, the program. She's helped me build the site. Like, she has been fantastic. But the thing is, for the most part, it's just been myself um, putting this program together. And I had some time in between jobs to really be there for my mentees. And I continue to be there for my mentees, but I'm currently in a, in a writer's room now in the process of, of contract negotiations over something that I'm extremely excited about and 
we'll share later down the line. And I'm like pitching TV shows and features. It's just there isn't a lot of time. So I have had to be very uh, conscious of how I allocate my time so that I'm, I'm making time for what matters to me. Let's look five to 10 years down the line. What does success look like for you, Mike, personally? And what does it look like for the program and for Black folks in writing, in show business, if everything is successful as you as you hope for it to be? More content about uh, people of color who are experiencing, you know, different things. Uh, we're not monolithic. You know, we live varied experiences Several shows can exist about, you know, a group of friends <laughs> and there not be one girlfriend <laughs> or one insecure or, you know, or one living single. You know what I mean? Um, equality in the sense of like the, the higher ups, what it looks like, what those numbers look like that you mentioned earlier, like having more women of color running shows, having more LGBTQ individuals of color running shows. Those things are important. So it looks like true equality. <laughs> and it looks like um, a, a, a television slate that's not monolithic or not only catering to one type of way of being Black. And what about you personally? Of course, I want the, the program to continue uh, uh, to flourish. I want to be able to expand the program to like colleges and high schools, uh, create a, a scholarship fund for... Um, young aspiring writers to to have access to tools that they need in order to get to where they want to be that can take someone who's 10 and has a dream and, you know, take them all the way into the writer's room um, once they're ready. So I want to point out that I asked about your personal goals and where you are in five to 10 years. And you still talked about your program, which is, that's not oh, lost on me. That's crazy. Okay. <laughs> that's not um, lost on me. It's damn, almost like. You're right. Um, I'm, I'm truly always thinking about it. Myself, myself. Creating shows, of course. I mean, I want, you know, to have my own shows on air. I want to be able to, to support other Writers who have fantastic ideas who just can't get a shot, you know, build out more programs <laughs> to help other writers <laughs> um, get to where they'd like to be. Like, I love it. I'm, I'm not bad at it. <laughs> I mean, that's it. You know, I I just got here. OK, <laughs> yeah. I just got here and I'm grateful to be here. So what can our listeners do to help? I'm listening to this and I'm like, man, I want to really support. I care about black representation in writer's room. Maybe I'm somebody who loved Insecure and like, man, I'd love to see more things like that on television uh, at the same time. What can listeners do to help support this? Listen, there's like over 400 shows on air. Um, so when we're putting our shows on air and we're actually getting a shot, watch. <laughs> that would that would really help <laughs> to, to watch these shows and even beyond watching the show, look them up, see ways in which you can like help support their careers. Um, specifically with the program, you know, if anyone out there would like to reach out who are interested in investing and, main, and you know, 
like the idea of this program existing uh, and living on for many years, please feel free to reach out to me and contact me because without visibility, there's no change. Without visibility, there's no access. So it's really about getting in front of as many eyes and ears as possible to get your story out there, uh, to be able to build that support. Do you have any uh, reading resources to help become a sharper writer or anything to become a stronger networker, anything that helped you persevere in your journey? Oh my God, podcasts, the writer's room, the screenwriter's rant room. I don't know if you know, Hilliard Guest, like he, Hilliard is fantastic. He has a fantastic podcast. The WGA has a great podcast. Uh, One of the first screenwriting books I ever got was a screenwriter's Bible. I suggest every writer have that. Though I really listen to like podcasts. Podcasts were my thing. Mike, this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Ronald, thank you so much for having me. This is this was great. Thank you guys for reaching out. Mike Goyo is a television writer and founder of Black Boy Rights, Black Girl Rights Mentorship Program. Solvable is produced by Jocelyn Frank. Research by David Ja. Booking by Lisa Dunn. Our managing producer is Sasha Mathias, and our executive producer is Mia Lobel. I'm Ronald Young Jr. Thanks for listening. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at T-Mobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there.